Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Livigno to Levin. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Happy New Year to you all out there listening to Libinio to Levi podcast. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen, and my guest uh, today is Erik Wikström, a sports journalist, an avid cross-country skier and a coach. Today's episode, we will talk about training, motivation. Of course, since this is a new year, 2021, I have to ask you about the holiday season. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? Thank you. Uh, it was great. We finally got some uh, man-made snow here in, in Borås. So we have 900 meters before that. The only thing we did was uh, ice skating and uh, having fires around in the, in the woods. <laughs> Small fires. Any quick words before we get started? Uh, since the new new season has started uh, and the new winter, new year, any kind of when you gaze upon the the, uh, the upcoming season? Of course, it's a very a very different one with uh, the pandemic, but it's it's exciting, and I think uh, lots of skiers are eager to to be racing, and I think it's going to be every race that it's going to be held is going to it's going to be very tough. There are so many motivated skiers out there motivation that is a big big thing uh it's not that easy to be uh, motivated um sometimes you know you, it's easy to train sometimes you have hard days uh you being a coach you probably encountered a lot of a lot of these problems that a lot of recreational skiers and serious uh, non-professional skiers face uh every day yeah, I usually say that uh, half of my contribution is my knowledge about training and half of my contribution is to get uh, athletes motivated because it's uh, training is a lot about doing the same thing all over again or not the same thing, but to have continuity in your training and to be able to, to have that, to train, not every day maybe, but almost every day, you, you need to be motivated and you need to find your own triggers. That's easier said than done. What do you usually <laughs> tell them? What, how, how, do they, how do they do that? Like if you, if you look at the research, you could see that uh, for a person that's not training, it's, it's important to work with like low thresholds. So like... The goal could be to, to walk 10 minutes three times a week uh, and once instead of having the goal to run one hour three times a week. And once you start doing this, like you take this walk, suddenly you will walk 20 minutes instead and, and suddenly you will start running a little bit and uh, finally you're actually running a little bit a few times a week instead of just giving up because there's a lot of things with training is that people have too high goals and then they will give up when they don't reach them and they are pretty hard to themselves. So for a person that's not training at all, it's it's important with low thresholds. Uh, that's what the, the research say. Uh, in For our audience, for this podcast, many are already motivated. And then there are other factors to work with. Um, 
like most ski coaches are working with persons that are they're already motivated they just want to be faster and then you could have a, a race as motivation or you could have like a community or online or or um, or in reality and you could have um, that you need like to to reach a certain results for example a specific time in, in the double polling ergometer or so on what I've kind of found out uh, uh, by talking to a lot of our skiers and, of course, a lot of recreational skiers and uh, and non-professional skiers that are very serious about it uh, is that uh, you can be motivated, uh, but there are certain times, of course, that particularly fall times, sometimes when it gets dark and, you know, <laughs> uh, it's not that easy to go out there and, and train every time. Of course, then when the, the season starts and you get to go skiing, that's always fun. But then again, quite often we need to do just small loops. You know, we don't, there's a man-made, you know, artificial snow tracks. Uh, after a while, that gets kind of boring as well. So mm -hmm. any kind of tips there that how do you fight the kind of the, I'm not talking about the overall motivation. I'm talking about those tough days when you face them and you, you just don't feel like it. You want to go out there and train uh, in a fall time when it's raining or uh, after a while in a, you know, an early season, you've just been skiing on the same loop over and over. Uh, you're kind of losing your interest. What to do then? It's interesting to say that over the season because I don't know how it is in, in Lahti, but uh, what I can see is that there are more people out there skiing in January compared to February, even though the lots of Swedes that are they're training for Vasalopet. So like lots of people that they lose the motivation already in February. Um, but talking about the loops, I mean, you have 4.5. That's that's like a long track <laughs> for, for some, but um even if it's 900 meters or 400 meters or, or five kilometers, it, it's pretty short if you do a long workout that, uh, in the full season. Uh, one thing is to do intervals, like any kind of intervals. Um, another, but you can't do intervals every day, maybe. You can do instead exercises to improve your strength or exercises to improve your technique or, or your coordination. Examples of that could be double pulling up a steep hill because not everyone is able to do that, but you could double pull maybe one hill per lap. You could do one sprint per lap. You could do uh, launches in, in the downhills, like a leg exercise in, in, the, in the downhills. You could do striding with your upper body and not moving your legs like a, a strength for your, for your arms. You could do skiing without poles for a few minutes. Like it's maybe it doesn't really matter exactly what you do, but if you have a schedule for yourself, like actually write it on the paper. Okay, now you 10 minutes of this, five minutes of this, or whatever. You could do like uh, running like Klebo uh, in a few uphills. If, if you have a schedule for yourself that takes like one hour, it's going to be. A lot more fun and the time is going to pass faster and you get a better exercise um it's like going to the gym because if you go to the gym without a plan your workout might not be as good as if you bring a paper to the gym uh, there are also lots of similarities with swimmers if you go to the pool i mean swimmers they have 25 meters or maybe 50 meters we at least have 
a few hundred meters. So what swimmers do is that they have a schedule. They do like, I don't know what they're doing. They have like uh, paddles and, uh, and stuff to, to, to do some exercises for legs and some for arms and some with one arm and one, uh, yeah. They make things happening in the workouts. Yeah, I've always been fascinated about the kind of the motivation and the stamina that the swimmers have. Yeah. Uh, they, they, for me, it seems kind of a really a boring type of, you know, they always go to the same place, uh, as you said, 25 meters or sometimes maybe 50, 50 meter a pool that they go back and forth uh, and they're still so dedicated. Um, what about um, combining exercises? Like the triathlon, is, uh, you know, or the triathlon uh, uh, athletes tend to do quite a lot, cycling and running. That could be mm. something, you know, that you go skiing a little bit uh, on a small, still talking about the small loops. Uh, you do maybe an hour, hour and a half, then go running or uh, Nordic walking or something like that. And then you can extend your yeah. exercise. Yeah, for sure. Um, or switch between skating or classic. Uh, and that's also something to do indoors. Uh, you could switch between... Uh, a treadmill and a double pulling machine uh, or a rowing machine uh, like the Ragde challenge uh, they did running on a treadmill and rowing machine and double pulling machine like a, a triathlon and uh, that that's a, a great way uh, to yeah to, to get some more tra time Next, I think we should talk about uh, setting uh, your goals because, you know, one thing is to have races and then and, and you have kind of go like the Vasalope for you guys in Sweden. Uh, that's always kind of a big goal for uh, a lot of skiers and then the, the placing and the times there. But in a year like this, it may not be possible or might be more difficult to, uh, to participate in the races. So there has to be other ways to set your goals. So that'll be next. Now you can be part of Visma Ski Classics. Sign up for my pages if you haven't done it yet. You can be ranked among other skiers, including our pro team athletes, and compare your ranking with your friends. You can also get different pins that measure your achievements. So go to VismaSkiClassics.com, sign in by clicking my pages on the top, and get ready for action in Season 11. Eric, goals, setting up goals. And of course, you being a coach, you, you need to do this constantly with your athletes. And there are individual goals. Your goal is different from mine, and uh, Nigord has a different uh, goal than we, <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> we hope so. What's your goal, Tim? My goal? Uh, well, I still have the same hole. I'm still trying to break the 24-hour world record, so I'm training like a maniac, and uh, then a couple other races, and I don't know. It's just, I well, it's a good question, because races is just one thing, and that's what I kind of realized over the years, that you can have other goals. You can see how much you can train in, in, in a month. Uh, is there certain that you can do... Uh, double polling, for example, you can go and do like a steep hill. You can go faster than before, or you can uh, go longer than before, and things like that. Which is kind of you know, like, kind of like individual goals that you just have for yourself to keep yourself motivated. 
particularly mm. in a year like this, I think that like even more important that you can test yourself and find certain kind of new boundaries to break. Yeah, certainly. And uh, sports psychologists often divide goals into three parts or, or three different goals. And it could be a, a result goal. In your case, that's to break the 24-hour world record because that's a result that's dependent on other people. Like you need to ski longer than Hans Mann passed 200, uh, 472 kilometers. It's very specific. Uh, then you could have an achievement goal. Like, for example, you want to be faster than 20 minutes in a double pulling machine, five kilometers, or you want to be faster than 10 minutes in, in 3K running. Uh, you could also have like a process goal. Like you mentioned like to train a certain amount. Uh, and before we recorded here, you mentioned you had train more than you have done in 20 years uh, and that could be like a, a process goal it could also be like i want to keep my running throughout the winter i want to run once a week the full winter could be a goal uh, another goal could be to develop your double pulling technique to work a lot on your double pulling technique so there are di three different kinds of goals and you can also have several goal of a process, several goal of achievement, and several goals of a result. And it's very important to ask yourself, what, what is my goal? And I think it's, it's very individual. Like people that I coach, some of them, they're not even signed up for a race. They just want to be in shape. Uh, uh, and for me, I, I like results like to, 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 to beat myself. Uh, so, so I think that's like the first question you should ask yourself when you are um, sitting down to, to, to make plans for a new season. But do you think that the, the, these type of um, other secondary goals are sometimes even more important for many uh, recreational skiers because... Of course, skiing is a little bit different. It's not a little, it's quite different from running, for example. Because when you go out there and you run or you have a marathon uh, and so forth, there's always time. You always try to break a time, like four hours or three and a half hours or whatever the uh, goal you have in mind. In skiing, it's not as as simple. Uh, of course, we have Vasa Lopet and you can probably try to break your time, but it, it's dependent on, on con uh, weather conditions, uh, placing, yes, the, your position in a race, but every year is a little bit different. So that's kind of the d difficulty in, in, in skiing. Uh, but as you mentioned, uh, for example, a good goal for many of our listeners could be uh, take one of our races, Visma Ski Classics events, and see if I can, for example, Ules Levi or Birkebeinerinnet, uh, really tough courses, that uh, this year I am trying to double pole the whole race. That could be a really good goal, don't you agree? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, lots of recreational skiers are double pulling now, uh, but maybe they would be faster with kickwacks. But I mean, it's really a, an achievement to to be able to double pull a hilly course. I mean, that's a great goal. And I think many skiers do have, e even though you're correct with uh, running, I mean, if you run a 10K race, it's, 
if you run it 45 minutes, it, it says a lot about your performance. If you do a mud shalonga in five hours, no one can relate to it in the, in the same way. But I think many people have a specific place, like they want to be top 500 in Marsha Longa or whatever as, as a goal. Um, but they tend to focus too much on those goals because I their goals might not be that. I mean, I see recreational skiers when they do the Vismaski Classics races, they go down to the sun in the Alps and they're doing like La Diagonela or Tobla Cortina and they have great fun with friends. They take like a, a few days before and a few days after and ski on these great loops. And if they would ask themselves, honestly, I think that's really what they're longing for and that's why they are skiing that's more important than if they are 499 or 501 in Marcelonga. but then again uh, quite a lot of people say that it's important for them to feel good when they do the race they're not really that concerned about the uh, you know the time or the position and so forth but they want to finish a race, a 60K or 65 for La Diagonal, for example. You just mentioned that. 65K, really beautiful course. Uh, uh, not the toughest, but it's t- tough enough for, for many skiers. Mm. They want to finish that and feel good, not to be tired or not to, be, not to feel dying all the way through. That's also a good goal. Yeah, and I think that comes with the age a little bit. Uh, I think that's more common goal for for people that are a little older if you are 60 years old you might not want to be totally exhausted in finish instead you will be oh i did this 70k race and now i'm gonna have a beer instead of be puking afterwards but still a bit more about the setting your goals uh, when you start out i mean if you're a skier or someone who wants to do do a race of ours one of the uh, you know the Pro Tour events or Challenger events, and uh, you kind of set up your goals. So what are kind of the steps that they need to take uh, to find the, the, the fitting goal? It's important to have a goal that's reachable. Like, but How do you find that? How do you, how do you, how do you find that reachable? I, I understand. Yeah. How, do you, how do you measure? What is your, within no. your grasp? I mean, for me as a Swede, lots of, my clients have a goal in Vasalopet to be in a certain um, like starting group or, or maybe top 1,000 or top 2,000. or Lots of them have time goals, like sub six hours. But then I tell them that it's, it, it's no point having a time goal in a ski race because it's all dependent on, on the conditions. But, I mean, if you have been number 2,500 last year, your goal should not be top 500 the next year because it's too big of a step so so you have to take to take lots of things into account and not set too high of a goal and uh, and then look at the person like is this a good runner is it a good double polar is it the good is the person strong um there's always a weak link um lo- lots of recreational skiers are are very strong they could lift like uh they lift a lot in the gym, but their endurance are, is not that great. And I mean, that could work in in, in Vasalop, but pretty good actually. There there are several skiers that are very fast in Vasalop, but they have pretty bad not bad, but they they don't have great VO2 max. But I mean, if you 
want to do well in the Berkey binary and it, it's, it's totally different because uh, then you need to be a good strider usually if you're a recreational skier and that's a totally different profile. So you need to ask yourself what's your goal, what's your race and what's your, what's your strength, what's your weaknesses. So if you're a new beginner, how do you how do you set up a realistic goal? Do you, do you feel that they need to be tested first or how, how I do think you determine? The two, the two, two tests that say a lot about you as a skier is actually 3,000 meter running on the, the a track and a 5,000 meter double pulling machine. Because, I mean, look at, for example, when... Uh, uh, at that Rakde uh, challenge, uh, Therese Juhaug was a lot faster than Andreas Nygård in uphill running, but Andreas Nygård was a lot faster than Juhaug in double pulling machine. And of course that was expected, but if you look at skiers that are pretty close to each other, like who is the best runner and who is the best uh, double puller in a double pulling machine, it also has a lot to do with how big you are. Uh, but if you know those two results and if you know the weight of the, the skier, it, it actually says a lot about your double pulling capacity and your VO2 max, but it doesn't say anything about your striding technique. Then what about intermediate goals? I mean, you talked about a lot of people having, at least in your country, having the kind of the Barcelona, but as the, the primary goal. Uh, but a lot of people say coaches or... Uh, say that you should have other goals in between, like the intermediate goals that you you have goal, you know. Uh, and the challengers are great. I mean, we have, I don't know exactly how many we have now in, in Visma Ski Classics, but there are tons of challengers, like in uh, either in skiing or in, in roller skiing. Uh, that's a great, like, goal to have during the summer for example uh, those um, roller ski events not everyone is roller skiing but that could be one and also what i think is good and if you do those races that uh, uh, sometimes when you have just one big goal for example the Basel Oper or Finland over here or any of, of our races uh, maybe then you get sick just before it or uh, it just turns out not to be your be best day uh, then you kind of lose that you know but if you have other goals or uh, maybe smaller goals, uh, uh, then at least you can do those and maybe perform really well and, and feel or get somewhat, you know, s satisfaction out of those races as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, these small goals could also be like workouts. I mean, you, you mentioned you have a group when you're training with. I mean, for those recreational skiers, it's... Every workout is a single goal. I mean, they, they are probably fighting for these workouts and they enjoy it. And, and I mean, for them, that might be as important and as fun as to go to a, to a roller ski event two hours away. Good point. I mean, do you think that uh, uh, a lot of the uh, professional skiers or semi-professionals or with serious skiers, we are too, too focused on, on results? you know, and getting certain type of results. I think we see a change now. Like all this racing with, with running races, uh, road biking races, mountain bike races and all that. It's, uh, I think people are 
those that were hunting times and, and specific places in, in Marshalonga and Yiserska, Birken and Vasaloppet, they're more like, no, let's go to Ilislevi and have a good time in northern Finland when it's a nice weather. I think there's a little shift that people, they don't want to improve their time, running time in 10 kilometers. Instead, they want to go to an ultramarathon somewhere to run 100k very slow and just be happy to be a finisher and i think we can see the same in skiing like many of my clients they are a little bit getting tired of hunting results and instead they want to yeah i mean do a a vismaski classics race or something like go outside uh, what they're usually doing Uh, so and also, I think this year with the pandemic, people are appreciating these small little races when they can't travel. Like, um, for example, tomorrow we are, I think we will be four or five friends. We're going to have like a, a training race and we're going to use bibs. We're going to pick an old bib uh, from from a race and we're going to have a starting time and we're going to have some f- food shooting and we're going to have a... a price ceremony so it's a that i think people appreciate these small things that are not so important that's actually pretty interesting that you know and it's it's a good point that you can actually organize your own races and own events uh, among your friends and and uh, like-minded people uh, particularly in a year like this when it might be difficult to travel that's the i guess the Hardest thing for many, because I know how important it is for many of us to go to another country, to do a Bisma Ski Classics race somewhere else. Now it might be, a, a, it will be a bit more difficult. So um, could be a good way just to, at least to have that smaller goal or have, you know, kind of the one step towards the uh, the main race uh, that you have in a season. And, and also, I mean, when you talk about goals, uh, in technique, it's very hard to measure. Like, do I do I improve my double pulling technique? It's very hard. I mean, you can videotape yourself, but it's kind of hard to see. If you have a goal for strength, for example, oh, let's, I want to do 20 push-ups instead of 10 push-ups, or I want to do, uh, I want to be able to do one pull-up, because lots of recreational skiers can't do a single pull-up. Uh, or you could have like you should be able to do ten pull-ups. That's that's very reachable goals, and it's against yourself, and you could control it yourself. So I think we've been talking about uh, setting up goals and the uh, the motivation and and that aspect of, of both of them really important. Uh, but I think we should now talk about the actual training a little bit uh, more because I know there are a lot of people out there willing to uh, learn a little bit more about uh, training, training methods that they could incorporate and utilize uh, in their training programs. So, uh, Eric, that'll be next for us. If you have any feedback, questions, requests, and ideas, please contact us at podcast at skiclassics.com. Enjoy our Living You to Levy podcast and join the fun. So, Eric, I know that you've interviewed a lot of our skiers, all the legends, and I've done quite a lot of interviews myself as well, all these podcasts. 
and an interesting aspect that I've learned in terms of training from all of all of these uh, skiers, pro team athletes, is that they train very different or differently from, uh, let's say, walk-up skiers. A uh, couple uh, notions that I've got. Uh, first of all, they tend to train once a day instead of the uh, two sessions per day, and uh, they tend since they do once a day and. The focus is always, of course, in a longer trainings, endurance, but they also do quite a lot of intervals within these long sessions. And uh, they have this, what they call the Vasalopap pass, you know, they're really a 90K or 100K uh, long session where they have intervals and sprints, all kinds of stuff uh, built into this one session. But you, since you are a coach and you train your athletes, is there anything that you could take from our athletes, our pro team athletes, and uh, kind of mold or f- for, for, your, for, for your skiers or the, for rec- recreational skiers, anything that they can learn from our skiers? Uh, yes, for sure. And uh, it, it is more common with, uh, for example, if you compare a World Cup skier with a long distance skiers, as you mentioned, their longer workouts and maybe training once a day. I mean, not everyone. There are lots of our skiers, so to say, the Vismaski Classic skiers that are doing two sessions per day, especially in training camps. I think most teams are doing two sessions per day in a camp, at least. But, I mean, not many World Cup skiers are doing uh, 90K double pulling with intervals in the session. Uh, the a big difference between an amateur skier and uh, a pro skier is that I think our pro skiers are around 800 to 1,000 hours per year, many of them. Uh, recreational skiers maybe train 100 hours or 300 hours. And if you just copy, for example, Britta Johansson Norgren's training and divide it by three, you might not achieve as good results uh, a key thing is that if you train less you need to train harder uh, or you can train harder i mean britta or, or astrid Eureslin, they they can't go hard on every session because then they will be burnt out if you are a pretty pretty fit recreational skier they're training 250 hours per year you can go pretty fast actually in most workouts you can slow uh, workouts could be pretty fast and you could do bore intervals or or something i mean uh, traditionally the uh, an elite skier is doing very slow sessions uh, combi- uh and then they're doing very hard session when they're doing intervals elite skiers tend not so often to go in the, like a medium fast pace like the the pace we have in the long distance races that may be 80 percent of max or 85 percent of max in in a very long race uh that pace many skiers don't train in that pace so often i think recreational skiers could do quite a bit of training in that pace because that's needed that's very interesting actually um, any examples, any sort of sessions or exercises that you would recommend to, uh, let's 
have like a three different. Uh, let's have the kind of the level one, which is the, the two hour, the 200, 250 hours, the one you mentioned per year, some something for a, for a skier like that. And then maybe uh, a, a good training or training methods for, some, for, for someone who could train from 400 to 500 uh, hours, uh, which is then getting to be more serious uh, based on what you just, just said. I think a big difference between maybe a, a person that is training 400 to 500 hours is probably a double polar and is probably pretty fast. Maybe not in the elite group, but the first or second row in the big races. And then its strength is more important. Maybe you need to go to the gym twice a week to, to really get a strong upper body for a person that's like in the middle of the field, the strength is not that important. One hour of endurance is all, almost always better than one hour of strength training because if you're not double pulling and if you're not trained so much, you shouldn't do too much strength. I think that's a common mistake. Then I think it's an important part for both one with 250 hours and 500 hours is that Long workouts doesn't need to be slow and short workout doesn't need to be fast. Uh, a two-hour workout could be like <laughs> a personal favorite is a three-hour workout when you do one and a half hours slow and then you do 75 minutes with a long distance race pace and then you do 10 minutes flat out and then you have a five minute cool down. That's like my favorite workout. It's long and it's tough. And then you learn how to ski both for a long time and with a good pace. So I think don't be afraid to ski long workouts in a high pace, at least every now and then. That's a, that's a good point. What about uh, intervals? Yeah, of course it's good. I mean, people tend to have an easy time to do long, long slow distance and to do intervals they have a hard time to do the workout that I just suggested to ski fat pretty fast for a long time without breaks that's a very hard thing for people to do uh, like when I read my clients training log they they don't cheat on the on the intervals they don't cheat on the long slow distance but they're cheating on the <laughs> when they're supposed to go pretty fast for a long time Regarding intervals, I think when Andreas Nygaard was interviewed in, in this podcast, his, he mentioned a thing that's very important, that you don't need to go flat out because it intervals. You could do five by five minutes or six by six minutes or whatever and go really hard, but you save a few percent because then you get almost the same training response and you will get much more you will get much faster recovery i think many recreational skiers especially when they're doing double pulling machine they're going all out on the last interval which and there are two problems one is that your recovery time is will get longer and the other problem is that you're actually training your aerobic system worse compared to being a little bit slower. So um, I think that's a, I, I usually say there's no 
requirement of puking after an interval session. You don't need to do that. You could do, you could ski hard, but not maximum. Yeah, I think that tends to be kind of a common notion that you always have to go flat out and you so you know, you know, all the way, uh, which isn't usually the case. Uh, I also heard that a lot of it, like the you know the uh, African runners, you know, they're, they're really good ones. They never really go all the way out, you know, uh -huh. it's, uh, and they do a lot of sprints and stuff like that. But they always kind of leave. We don't really call them smiling, but you know, the, uh -huh. <laughs> they, they after the training they still feel like they could go more, or yeah. could do more. How? how uh, what's your favorite interval work, sessions? I actually tend to like the same ones as you do, kind of the long ones, and you go fast and you increase the pace. Uh, I don't really like intervals that much, but of course I do them. Uh, and I don't, I mean, a lot of people enjoy the long, long training. I like long trainings when I go kind of fast. And I, for example, I've done myself this season, I've done a couple hundred K ones. Uh, I actually did eight hour training uh, the other week. Uh, 130k and I went really fast the first 100k I went uh, really on fast on a 4.5k loop yeah I was at that time it was only 2.5 <laughs> it's uh, so it was a bit bit shorter oh. even but but I tend to like that when you go fast uh, close to your racing pace but not quite that because of course the racing pace can be really fast uh, and you go for a long time I really don't like the really the slow long endurance trainings but they're kind of boring <laughs> uh, and, and it's also a matter of technique i mean uh, sometimes you can see recreational skiers are skiing on a hilly track and they want to keep the heart rate under a certain level because uh, they have they have heard or read that the elite skiers are doing that but for a recreational skier it means like they're walking and that's then you don't train your technique Good point. I was actually going to ask you about that because I've noticed the same thing. A lot of people tend to just look at the, the watches and the heart rates. What's your take on that? I mean, is it as, as a recreational skier and, or even as a more serious skier, how no. much do you need to pay attention to that? I mean, for Andreas Nygaard, I think it's important not to go too fast on, on the long workouts. Uh, for because sure. he can, because he has the capacity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he he's training so much. But for for someone that's not training so much, I think uh, it's possible to go pretty fast. And for the elite skier, it's pretty interesting. Could they could they could go very fast just by increasing their like average heart rate from 60% to, to 75%. Um, and 75% is not super fast, but it, it's a big difference in speed. Lots of them are skiing with a pretty low heart rate. And also you, your heart rate is getting lower when you're training big volumes because you, your blood volume is increasing. Uh, you have probably noticed that when you're in a training camp your heart rate is like 95 in the uphills in the last day. <laughs> uh, so the heart rate monitor is a good tool, but you need to learn how to use it. Um, for a recreational skier, it's, I think it's important to be able to ski in different zones so you're not in the same zone the whole time. The problem for some recreational skiers is that they are in the same zone Every week, every workout, and of course you need to divide that a little bit. But which means that the same pace over and over again, which tends to be usually a little bit too fast. Every single training, 
Yeah, so, so then, but once you learn to divide that, you should, you could uh, remember that don't ski too slow too often. It's really in interesting what you're saying. I mean, if you can read between the lines, uh, basically what you're saying is that if you are a recreational skier or skier who uh, is somewhat serious, uh, they, the common problem seems to be that they think that they should go really slow and the, and the long distance races and the races, but the exercises should should be done really uh, slowly because that's what kind of they learned and heard about. But what you're saying is that, no, actually, they should go a bit faster and uh, keep up a good pace because they're not really training, maybe not every day, and they have time to recover compared to our elite skiers or pro team athletes who train every day sometimes even tw twice a day, they need to pay more attention to to kind of the, the variety of their trainings because they train so much. There's not really that much time for recovery. Am I reading you? Yeah, that's pretty correct. But uh, I still want to say that so sometimes you need to be efficient in, uh, you, you need to be able to, to, to ski with a low heart rate. For example, if you, some people can't run with a low heart rate um, like they would have 180, even though they're just running slowly. And then I think it could be needed to walking in a, in a fa initial phase of like three months or so. Because um, they, they try not to be able to do well in long distance uh, skiing or running. They, like, they need to be able at least to move in some kind of speed with a low heart rate because you need to drop your heart rate, for example, in downhills to get better recover and so on. So uh, there is some points with training with a low heart rate sometimes, but in general, go fast. And you, of course, you need to build a foundation, the aer aerobic uh, base before you can do. So that's, that's, that's what you're referring to. Uh, and running is tough, as you said. I, uh, I tell a lot of people, you know, when they're kind of starting out that, you shouldn't think about running first. You should think about Nordic walking or walking uh, up and down uh, and down the hills. That sh that's usually a good exercise and good aerobic exercise to build up the kind of the foundation, the base. Uh, a lot of people tend to go running right away. Uh, I'm talking about beginners. Mm -hmm. And that could be fatal <laughs> in many cases, meaning, meaning that you burn yourself out. Running has a other dimension that skiing doesn't have because the, the risk of injury is so high in running and it's not in skiing. Um, then running, I mean, it, in uh, interviews with uh, like Tore Beardal and Petter Eliasen uh, and all those great skiers, they say running is important because it's better training for endurance, uh, they said. Uh, and they mean it's, you better you train your VO2 max better with your lower body and running is like the perfect thing. They have higher heart rate in running both in long distance workouts and in interval sessions. So they mean everyone in the elite field could double pull for 90K or 100K, uh, since we have that this year, uh, they could double pull for 100K, but it's, also a competition about the VU2 max. Um, like Tore Berdal, he said like it, now it's bad. Before you, you needed to be a good double puller. Now it's, everyone is a good double puller and it's back to a competition about VU2 max. And 
therefore they're doing lots of running. Uh, but then on the other hand, like for example, when when you interviewed Max Novak, he said, "I'm not running at all, barely. I'm just roller skiing." So there are, there are many ways to roam for sure. That is true, and 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 but as you said, I mean, a lot of a lot of the the pro team athletes are now saying that it's back to the basics again, and they use uh, diagonal striding, diagonal skiing quite a lot as well, for the same uh, uh, reason, you know, that you can do a lot of intervals and get your legs and 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 it, it increase your VO two max. Can you get maximum heart rate from double pulling, Tim? Uh, pretty close, but not. Of course, I mean, if I go running up a hill, that's the probably the hottest. You know the yeah. with with the poles, then yeah. I can get my max. Uh, uh, speaking of VO two max, uh, which is kind of the I don't know the measurement of of uh, uh, perfection or the measurement of of, of uh, 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 excellence uh, in, in among the elite skiers. But how important is that, or to increase that uh, for amateur skiers or recreational skiers? In a in a long race like Ulis uh, Levi or Orefjellsloppet uh, or Vasaloppet, like when you're out for many hours, even though the course could be hilly, it might not be that important if you are like in the middle of the field. Well, it is important, but I mean, it's so many other things. It's about how you can conserve energy. How is your fat burning system? How is your technique over time and how how are your skis for um you can compensate it with many other things exactly you can compensate it a lot and it's the same with the road biking i mean you, if you look at the road biking race uh, you, you can see people there they they don't look fit but they have so strong legs they have a bike so much they have like a vo2 max of 35 but they are so good bikers um cyclists so, yeah, in the flat, long races, it's not that important with the VU2 Max as uh, in running, for example. Uh, it, you can compensate it with, with endurance in your upper body. You can compensate it with the fat-burning system. You can compensate it with a good threshold and so on. Speaking of which, the thresholds, you know, uh, how important is that to train at threshold levels for uh, again for uh, uh, more for regular folks not the elite elite skiers yeah 2020 was like the the year of the threshold in, in running at least in the Nordic countries it became very popular like uh, many runners were doing many sessions with threshold workout and all it also has come down to skiing a little bit lots of people doing those uh, two threshold workouts in one day. I don't know if it's popular in Finland. Mm, wouldn't really say that, but... Yeah. Uh, but inspired by the the, the Ingebrigtsen, their brothers, Norwegian runners. And one thing that's important to know is that there, in training, you could, you need to challenge yourself and you can challenge yourself by training a lot 
you can train yourself by training lots of intervals. You could train, challenge yourself by having a high speed at the long workouts. You could challenge yourself by lots of threshold workouts. I mean, you need to do it in some way. Um, I would say for recreational skiers to be exact on the threshold level in intervals is not that important. Then finally, I think we should talk about um, a little bit of a double polling uh machines or because that's something a lot of people use or need to use because of lack of snow and and a lot of places uh, i guess in south sweden even in helsinki area in my country central europe you don't always have a chance to go out and ski and roller skiing might be a bit difficult as well because the winter conditions or they're not as as they are you know in, in the summertime so then you need to do a lot of indoor training and double polling machines are really good for that so and i think you have some good tips for that so let's talk about that we should also mention that double polling machines are also for the summer even though it's good roller skiing uh, out um, we've seen i think bruno de Bretolis is like promoting one of the models uh, and i mean you don't need to to think as it as an alternative for for skiing or roller skiing you can think of it as a complement because you could go very tough i mean you could make the resistance very hard so it's like skiing an uphill all the time um actually i i've started to use roller skiing on my double pulling machine so i have like a, i have a, what a board so it's like a, a treadmill almost but it's not uh, <laughs> moving you, so if you have four front wheels on the roller skis, you could pull yourself up and then you will slip down and you pull yourself up. So it's like roller skiing on a treadmill, but with a double pulling machine. You're not the only one. I know a lot of people that do that, actually. But let, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, a little bit more. Now you can be part of Visma Ski Classics. Sign up for my pages if you haven't done it yet. You can be ranked among other skiers, including our pro team athletes, and compare your ranking with your friends. You can also get different pins that measure your achievements. So go to vismaskiclassics.com, sign in by clicking my pages on the top, and get ready for action in Season 11. So double polling machines, you mentioned that they are really good, uh, not just... Uh, replacing skiing, but you can be complement your training as well. Uh, what kind of trainings do you recommend when you do double point machines? Of course, it's easier to do intervals because to make the time goes faster. Uh, it's, I mean, if a, a lighted or a man-made loop could be short, I mean, a double pulling machine, it's, uh, it's just one stroke and then you're back again. So... Uh, it's kind of needed to do intervals. You don't need to do them very fast, but you can change your frequency. You could change your uh, the resistance and so on. You can watch uh, uh, a race, like I watched the Berkey Biner race uh, uh, one time when I did that. So you can get a longer race. And uh, a good a good advice there is, uh, I mean, you could see a Visma Ski Classics race. Those are pretty long and just double pull. If you want to do an interval session, you can watch a sprint race from the World Cup and then 
you have uh, 10 quarterfinals, four semifinals, and two finals. So that, what do you get there? You get uh, 16 intervals or something. It's a pretty good workout. That's how you could get the time going. But uh, if I could recommend a workout, it's like do 500 meters 10 times. It's, uh, it takes you 30 or 40 minutes. It's uh, a good workout. So you wouldn't recommend a long sessions like uh, uh, endurance ones? It depends on your motivation, but I mean, uh, uh, I think many people rather go roller skiing and if they don't dare roller skiing or if they don't want to buy roller skis, maybe running with poles for two hours is more fun than, than, than uh, two hours on a double pulling machine. I mean, we saw Hans Mampe, he was going to do 100K on a double pulling machine, but I think he dropped out after like three hours. It's uh, Three hours is a long time on a steering into this uh, monitor. And also Marcus Johansson used that quite a lot uh, last fall when he got injured and uh, it turned out to be a blessing yeah. in disguise you know for him he because he performed the exa- twice exactly exactly he performed so well so it it indeed is a good uh training method and 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 a, a good motivation also like there's uh an app where you can make the workouts in advance and then the app could make like a leaderboard so you can have a pretty easy way to make virtual races that are great fun it's easy. If you do a workout, you can take a photo of the of the monitor and send to your friend to be like, uh, you can do small virtual races with your friends that are not living in the same town. So what do you think are the kind of the downfalls? What are the things that people should uh, watch out when doing double pointing machines? Sort of the traps that they may face, things well, to avoid. It's the technique, the, the fastest technique in a double pulling machine, at least in the, in the most common model where you have ropes, it's that you start too high up and you go too low down, like you're bending your knees too much. And that could be seen in a track sometimes. People are bending their knees and they're like sitting down. Uh, it's the fastest technique for a double pulling machine, but it's not the fastest technique in the ski track. Um so that's why it's good to have roller skis, uh, but then you need it to have it at home and you need to have space for it and so on. Um, another way to do it is to, to get a rubber band around your hip and, uh, and you put it uh, somewhere behind you so you could lean forward because you can't lean forward in a double pulling machine. So if you're not doing roller skiing and you're only doing double pulling machine, you need you need to be careful with the technique. So that's probably the most important thing is to watch out, you know, for your technique and make sure that uh, you keep it intact. And do a different resistance, not just number ten. Good. I mean, I think we pretty much covered, you know, the training and the motivation and uh, setting your goals and and that kind of stuff. So. Uh, as a kind of summary uh, of all we discussed, uh, so would you be kind enough and um, recap the kind of the most important things first for the motivation, then the goals, and then the training? So let's get started with the uh, the motivation. How do you keep up? How how do you keep up with your motivation? Three most important important things there. 
and, and, and now we're talking to people that are already training. Uh, once is uh, sign up for a race. The second one is get some kind of community, like your online or, or, uh, or real community, uh, or just with your friends, like in a messenger group or something. Um, and number three, Oof. you take number three, Tim. Mm, that is a good one. Uh, just for me, I would say keep, uh, keep variety in your uh, training and try to find different ways. Don't repeat the same exercise over and over and do a little bit of a mental, mental part of as, as well. And even when you do... When you get a little bit bored, because that the day will come that you will feel that that lap or whatever loop you're doing over and over, it's not that fun anymore. So then maybe you break it down a little bit, and like okay, I'll be this two more laps, and don't think about the end of the training all the time. That's at least that's what I tend to do when I get like mm-hmm. oh four hours, oh okay, how many laps? I'm like oh okay, I'm just gonna do this one hour, and yeah, that's then a good maybe one. yes. So, so that you don't constantly think about the kind of the overall training. Oh, it's so many hours left, so many kilometers left. You just break it into small uh, sections or segments. Yeah. Then goals, setting up uh, your goals. What do you think are like the three important things there? Uh, One, to have a result goal. It could be, uh, for example, top 500 in the Berkey Binder. And maybe if you want to have a goal like that, and one is a goal of achievement, it could be, for example, you should be able to uh, to double pull the whole lighted loop back home. Uh, and number three, to have a process goal. For example, I'm going to do a strength exercise every week the whole year. And I think you always have to be kind of realistic, of course, that you mentioned earlier, that come up with realistic goals. Don't reach for the sky or the stars, uh, and uh, which is sometimes difficult to find the realistic goals because we, as, as people, as human beings, we tend to kind of go a little bit yeah, and further also away. To, yeah, certainly. Um, but you could have, I mean, if we're talking about result goal, it could actually be good to have them graded, like in five different levels. Maybe one is top 300, one is top 500, one is top 1,000, and one is to finish, and uh, and, uh, and one is to, to beat yourself from last year. Good point. Good point, that you have different kind of levels. And those you could change throughout the season and throughout the race, actually. I mean, if you break... The problem with just having one result goal is if you're, you want to be top 500... And then you break your pole after a few uh, four meters, then top 500 might not be possible. Then you maybe change it to top, I don't know, 700. Good, good points. Uh, then finally, training. Uh, this is a kind of a, you know, harder, you know, thing to <laughs> to kind of just sum up. But um, three most important aspects or or things about training in general i'm not talking about training methods or sessions per se but more about the things that you need to keep in mind uh, about training 
No, but one is not to copy the elite skiers, uh, that if you're training less, you need to train harder. That's one. Uh, another one that we haven't talked about is actually that if you're not training like 800 hours per year, don't be afraid to increase your training into your big event. I mean, if, you're, if your biggest goal is Yuzerska, then the two months before, prior to Yuzerska, you can train. Those could be your your highest volume months because endurance training has a short-term effect and for elite skiers they need to decrease their training to 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 have uh, to be fresh but for an amateur skier with low volumes it could actually be the opposite that you need to increase your training to to your big goal uh, and number and number three is that uh, don't focus too much on on strength training unless you are a, a a very good amateur skier and and you are double pulling. And I think you just have to be bold. I try different things because that's part of the fun. If you're not an elite skier or you have like really really serious goals, you can try. Maybe sometimes you may not re reach the results that you uh, like to get, but at least you can find some new things, new methods. And again, it goes kind of back to the motivation. You do different things. You keep yourself motivated uh, yeah. when you don't just do repeat the same thing over and over. Yeah. And a new race could be one thing that you haven't done. Exactly. And uh, there will be a lot of good races coming up this, this season. And uh, our Visma Ski Classics Pro Tour is getting started. So that'll be an exciting, exciting once again. And uh, the upcoming episodes, we will talk about the races, of course. We will speculate about the winners and things like that. So stay tuned. There will be more to come. Uh, and the season is uh, starting. Uh, 2021 will be the year. So uh, thank you very much, Eric, as always. It's good to have you. And... Um, Thanks. Anything, anything else you want to say to our listeners before we uh, bid adieu uh, for this time around? No, just uh, enjoy the snow or enjoy ski training if you don't have snow. It's uh, remember why you're doing this. Exactly. So there you go. Uh, thank you very much for listening. As, as I said, stay tuned for more because there will be a lot of good stuff coming up. So keep training. Stay tuned. See you soon. Bye bye. Bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.